Welcome to the OKC First Church of the Nazarene podcast. At OKC First, we are learning to do three things. Friendship with God, friendship with one another, and open friendship for the sake of the world. For more information about OKC First, please visit OKCFirst.com. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, Zach, for filling in for our man, Brandon, who is vacationing a bit. Thank you, sir. And thank you to our... Our, our band and singers, it's always a, I always like seeing some of the young peoples up here singing. I like that quite a bit. We are in a sermon series known as Identity Crisis. This is our Easter sermon series. And, and here's what I'm trying to get across, that we have a tendency, this awful tendency to underappreciate and under um, misunderstand and under understand this Jesus. And, and there are pretty dramatic consequences when you do not have a full, um, healthy understanding of this Jesus character and what Jesus said and what Jesus came and did and what Jesus continues to do. When your understanding of this Jesus is diminished, then your understanding of All of us, as the people of God or the body of Christ, we are also diminished. In other words, there is a very tight correlation between your admiration and appreciation for Jesus and your understanding of your as your role as a member of the body of Christ. If you have a small Jesus, you have a small Christianity. If you have a Jesus as large as creation, then you have a better idea of what it is that you and I are called to do and to be. To have this creation-wide impact. And we're going to talk about that today uh, a little bit. This is another major theme that we're talking about here. This combination or this relationship between sin and death. That is dealt with in the cross and the resurrection. So we have believed and we have actually said because scripture says the wages of sin. What is what the wages of sin are? Death, And so we can see, we've always kind of believed somewhere down deep that when there is sin, there is coming death. But scripture also says the opposite. It says that the sting of death is sin. So there is this whole cycle here. So it's not just that when you sin, death is on the way. It's when you fear that death is on the way, you are more likely to sin. Are you seeing that? When you fear death somehow, then you are more likely to do the things that you wouldn't do if you didn't fear death. Then along comes Jesus, and in the, the process of the cross and the resurrection, Jesus actually crushes this whole ugly, vicious cycle, the most vicious of cycles. Jesus crushes it all. And not only does he overcome death, and we see that pretty plainly and clearly in the resurrection, But he also crushes sin. In other words, and see if you can wrap your brains around this, because I still struggle at some time, struggle with it sometimes, but listen to this. In the person of Christ, Jesus takes sin and death and renders them as something less than inevitable. Whoa. Wow takes sin and death and says, you no longer have ultimate authority because in the death and the resurrection, I have crushed this vicious cycle. And while sin and death still are around, 
they no longer have the authority that they used to have. They no longer have ultimate authority. Hey, folks, sin and death no longer have ultimate authority, which means you are free to not sin. And all God's people said, I qualified. Uh, okay, all right. Um, so, this morning, I was around a lot of... A lot of runners. And so, largely, although some of you are just powerful enough to have already run this morning and you came to church, and I didn't know that because I was just going to spend a lot of time making fun of runners this morning. So, if you ran this morning, then accept my apologies because I might be one of these people. There might be others in the room who just hate running, uh, especially running in circles, especially, especially running on any kind of a treadmill, right? Uh, running is fun only when it's over. <laughs> running is only fun when it's over. Here's one that I really liked. If you see me running, call the police because something terrible has happened. And in my case, it probably includes either a clown or the dream of a clown. So please call the police. But I will tell you, I will tell you. Now, there were several years when we actually dismissed this service and we only did church out at the marathon, and Mike and I were part of a relay team, and, and we survived a couple of years doing that kind of thing, and we set up lots more cheer stations, but there weren't as many people participating as I would have hoped, and so we have church because I didn't want you just sleeping in, gracious, I didn't want you sleeping in on a Sunday, I didn't want you going somewhere else, so I think it's a good thing that we still have church, but I want you to hear this, there is something spiritual about that event. And I would say, not just spiritual, I would say there's something Christian about that event. Here's, here's what I mean. 25,000 people were there just to run. So that doesn't count all the rest of us who were there to support those who were going to run. 25,000 people are downtown. And it all goes dead silent for 168 seconds as we remember what happened April 19th, 1995, where we lost 168 people. There is a deep reverence, hear this, for the sanctity of life in that moment. There is this deep belief that we can be something better, something other than what we saw play out on our screens. And then the race begins. And I gotta tell you, People who run come in all different shapes and colors and sizes and varying levels of ability, amen, okay? I saw some folks running the entire marathon. You can tell they have different colored bibs. The 5Kers were wearing the blue bibs, I believe, okay? The half marathoners are wearing the golden bibs. The full marathoners are wearing the green bibs. And there were full marathoners that I never would have identified as full marathoners, They just don't look like folks who would run 26.2 miles. By the way, I don't want to run 26.2 miles. I barely want to drive 26.2 miles, much less run it. And there are people who struggle to finish the 5K or the half marathon or the full marathon. But you have this cloud of witnesses on both sides of the street As far as I can tell, the entirety of the race, there is this enormous cloud of witnesses, people who are doing this. I think the Greek for this is clapping, right? 
who are just saying, you can do it. And as someone who has run before, hear this. You can run farther and faster when people are cheering you on. You can. There's something incredibly Christian about it. There's something incredibly Christian about training to run. I mean, there's a reason that that Paul works as hard as he does to help us to see that there is something about the Christian life, the Christian faith, that is a little bit like running. And it's not really sprints that he's talking about. He's talking about marathons. He's talking about distance running. He talks about the need to have endurance, endurance, endurance. You don't wake up with endurance. You train in order to have and develop endurance. Train in order to have and develop endurance. And I'm talking about faith. I'm not talking about running. You get up. You do the things that you need to do. You don't do the things that you shouldn't do. And you do these things day after day after day until it's week after week, until it's month after month, until it's year after year, until one day you look in the mirror and you're a runner. You didn't mean to be, perhaps, but you trained, you trained. And I'm telling you, there is something of that in all of this that we're calling the Christian life. You train. You get up. You do the things you're supposed to do. You avoid the things that you need to avoid. And then you run in packs and herds, and there's a great cloud of witnesses that say, come on. Now, why don't people run? Well, uh, there are a lot of reasons that people don't run. Although, seeing what I've seen even today, physical limitations are no longer an excuse to not run. (laughs) I saw folks running that looked like they're in great agony, and they were going to run, and they were going to finish. So why do people not run? Well, bottom line is it's hard. I mean, I'll, I'll cop to that. It's hard. It's, it's time-consuming. It takes a lot of energy, and there's only so much energy to go around. And if you're going to spend the energy to be a marathoner, you're not going to spend that same energy somewhere else. It's hard. It's hard. I'm afraid there's another parallel there to the Christian life. <laughs> Why are there some folks who can't quite Get over the hump and be and stay Christian. It's hard. It, it, okay, now I want to make sure that we're all on the same page as we use this word. I want to make sure that we're defining it at least similarly, if not the same way. To be Christian is not just to believe that God exists. That's, it's more than that, y'all. In fact, being Christian is more than just you believing something. It's not just your mental assent to a group of doctrinal beliefs that we articulate pretty well and it's a bullet-pointed page and you can actually commit the whole thing to memory. That doesn't make you a Christian when you can commit the entire, hear this, the entire, you may not want to record this, but you can commit the entire manual of the Church of the Nazarene to memory. And it may not make you Christian. Fact is, you can commit the entirety of the scriptures to memory, and if all you're doing is just filling your brain, your gray matter with words, not even that will necessarily make you Christian because Christians look like Jesus. (laughs) And that's hard. It's hard like I'm gonna be a marathoner in a month, hard. 
I'm going to be a marathoner in a year, hard. In a lifetime, it's hard, it's hard. Please don't let anybody tell you that it's not going to be hard. Being a Christian is incredibly hard because there are so many points at which you have to choose whether it be like Jesus or you. And choosing against yourself has never been easy. But when, hey amen, somebody knows yourself pretty well, okay. But when you do, and when we do, something big and something good happens. So we're going to get to the book of John, but we're going to get to the book of John by way, again, of the, uh, of the book of Revelation. Okay, you, you should know this. Okay, I'm going, going back. I had a very good friend of mine say, now, you heard what you said now two weeks in a row. You're saying that we're not going somewhere else, that God is coming here. Are you sure? I said, yes. I mean, it's kind of what it says. It's kind of what it says. But it says so much more than that. Listen to this. What this means is that we believe that God in Christ, and in the resurrection in particular, won. Well, that was, oh, that was such a good place for an amen. I'm going to, try, I'm going to even step back. I'm going to walk up and give you another try at that one, all right? What we believe is that God in Christ and in the resurrection won. And we're going to see that victory embodied and played out in its fullest sense in God's future. And the book of Revelation, in this chapter, in chapter 22, which we're going to be in in the next couple of weeks, are the most dramatic, apocalyptic portrayals of what this victory is going to be like. The first six verses of chapter 21 today, and what if we actually believe these things? Listen to this. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and earth passed away, and the sea, where all this chaos comes from, they believe that there are ugly things that lurk beneath the surface of the water. They believed that there was chaos and all kinds of dangerous stuff and the sea was no more. That doesn't mean, that doesn't mean there won't be lakes in heaven and that doesn't mean there won't be lakes and seas in, the, in God's future. It means that the chaos and the horror and the terror contained in the sea would be no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Now, just a couple of chapters before. Rome, kind of understood in that, at that point as Babylon, was referred to as a whore. It's in the Bible. I can say that. I can say it out loud because it's in the Bible. It was referred to as a whore. That's why it makes so much sense and so much difference for this description to be here, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And then listen to what God says. See, the home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with them as their God. They will be his peoples. It's a very important S on the end of the word people there. Because we're not just talking about the good people, God's people, us church people. When all of this happens in God's future, God's, God's arms reach broadly enough and wide enough to encompass all different kinds of peoples because all the different kinds of peoples will be the people of God. Make sense? And God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. Here's what we've been talking about for weeks now. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more for the first things have passed away. Some of my favorite stuff here. Verse 5. See, 
I am making all things new. I'm not making all new things. I'm making all things new. Oh, that is good. Good, good, good stuff, you guys. I am making all things new, and here is the best news yet. All of that has already begun. Now, some of you are a little dubious now. Are you sure? Because I watch television news. And I've seen some ugly stuff even recently. Are you sure about this? Are you sure that we have a victory already in the bank, let's say? Yes. The entirety of our faith is built on this episode that we understand as the resurrection. <laughs> the entirety of all that we hope to do and be, the entirety of all that makes us us is built on this episode known as the resurrection. And we believe, reading scripture as we have and reading scripture like we do and we'll continue to read scripture, we believe that God launched this kingdom in and through the resurrection and it is carried now through not just with the people of God, but certainly with the people of God who enjoy the same spirit that filled the lungs of Jesus Christ himself. So there is something about our being together that is meant to be one of the ways that God will move all creation toward God's greatest dreams for creation. And all God's people said a very hopeful yeah. But how? How is it that God will move everything that direction? And is this a brand new idea? It's actually not a brand new idea. In fact, all the way back in the book of Isaiah, we have something that sounds a lot like this. The prophet says in third Isaiah, I'm about to create new heavens and a new earth. The former things shall not be remembered or come to mind, but be glad and rejoice forever in what I'm creating. For I'm about to create Jerusalem as a joy and its people as a delight. In other words, God's going to do something, not just with creation, but with us, the body, to help and move and minister to all creation. And here's how we're going to do it. We're going to tap in to the greatest truth of the resurrection. We're going to tap into that and hope to, in our lives, in our very bodies, hope to further, further this whole process through love. Okay, now some of you are underwhelmed by that. Maybe it's because we hear that word love so often, and we do. And maybe that's not a great thing, that we hear this word love so often. But, but I want you to hear me say this. What the resurrection does, it demonstrates that there is no greater power than that which caused Jesus to be raised from the dead. In other words, the resurrection is a great moment of vindication. You could, you could understand it like this. Jesus, throughout his ministry, was constantly in an argument with the powers that be. 
was constantly arguing with the powers that be. Jesus would say, love is the way we should move everything. Love is is what should shape us both as people and as societies. Love should be our operating principle. And Rome said, no, we think it ought to be power. The religious establishment said, no, we kind of think it ought to be power. We agree with the Romans. Jesus continues to argue with them. No, turn the other cheek. (laughs) Give to the people who steal from you. Go the second mile. Love is a more reliable way to move forward than power or money. These other powers said, no, we think you're wrong. Matter of fact, we think you're dangerously wrong. Jesus insisted, insisted, insisted. No, power and suffering love is the way to go, I promise. Well, then show us, the other powers said. And so they arrest him. They humiliate him. They torture him. They ultimately execute him. And all the while, he maintained this posture that said, no, love is the way to go. Even as they were killing him, he insisted on love and not power. And he died. The guy who said, no, love is the way to go, arguing with all of the powers, was killed by the powers. And then he came back to life. And here's what I think he said to the powers. See? See? I mean, you gave me your best shot. You you powers. Oh, pardon me. Don't ever chew gum. You powers, you gave me your best shot. And I'm still here. Love is still loving even after the powers did their best. And here is the toughest part. And this is really one of the sub-themes, major themes of the book of Revelation. The resurrected Jesus comes to the church, to all of the churches, churches just like ours, and says, okay, All that we said about love and the power of suffering love, especially in the face of all these other definitions of power that are all vying for the top, the ultimate spot, Jesus says, the resurrected Jesus, still with scars, says, I want you to love like that. And this is how we'll move everything forward. And now we finally get to John 13. We don't have much farther to go here. You recognize this picture? This is sort of the scene or the backdrop for our verses today. This is when all the disciples had gathered, gathered for a Passover meal. Jesus washes feet. And then, in the midst of that night, something terrible happens. Judas betrays Jesus. So, all that Jesus has to say about love, this is really important. He says, after Judas betrays him. Matter of fact, all that Jesus says about love, he says just after Judas betrays him and just before Simon Peter would deny him. (laughs) So these words about love take place in between betrayal and denial. Betrayal of Jesus, love from Jesus, denial of Jesus, and as we see in the last chapter of John, still love from Jesus. You've got to have sort of the historical and literary backdrop to understand the power of the words that Jesus is about to speak. Keep in mind that it comes after, immediately after betrayal. 
And by the end of the same chapter, Jesus says to Simon Peter, yeah, I know, you're pretty excited about stuff right now. You will leave me. You will deny me three times. And still I will love you. When Judas had gone out, Jesus said, okay, it's begun. Now the Son of Man is glorified and God has been glorified in him. What in the world? Well, this is that whole argument we were just talking about. Jesus knows that with Judas's departure from the room, Jesus knows exactly what's about to happen. Jesus knows that the powers are now conspiring. Jesus also knows that love will overcome these powers eventually, but the process has started that will result in a crucifixion. In a strange sort of way, Scripture seems to understand and describe the cross as a glorifying moment. Does that seem strange to anybody else? That a means of execution would have been displayed and explained as a means of glorification. How in the world is God glorified when a criminal is humiliated in the worst possible way on a very public cross? Well, because Jesus, even on the cross, hear me, is still arguing the point. Remember, remember what we say about crosses. Crosses don't so much tell you about how angry God is. (laughs) Crosses are better understood as evidence of the length to which love will go to make love's point. Jesus says, even as you kill me, I love you. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. And that whole process is kicked off in a very real way in the betrayal So the glorification has begun. And he says, I give you now a new commandment that you love one another just as I have loved Judas. I think in order to catch the weight of these words, we have to be a little bit more specific than a y'all here. Just as I have loved y'all, it's great and all, right? But just as I have loved Judas and Peter, you also should love one another. By this, everyone will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another. This is more than kindness, as important as kindness is. You know what I hope folks don't say about the Christians who gather all the time at 4400 Northwest Expressway? I hope they don't say, well, at least they're nice. I hope we are nice. I hope we are kind. But I hope there's something about our Christianity that reaches far beyond niceness and kindness. Because here's what's being said here. The next time you are betrayed, the next time you are denied, it's a perfect kingdom moment right there in front of you to return love for betrayal and denial. That's a tough one. That's a tough one if you've been betrayed or denied. Now, this is interesting here. A a new commandment I give you, love one another. It's actually not new. 
actually find that other places in Scripture. What's new is who says it. This was written long after the death and the resurrection. People are remembering and remembering. And remember, this whole Christ event was well on its way. (laughs) Jesus, having been betrayed, and everybody knows it now, right? Written so long after the fact. Jesus, having been denied, everybody knows it now. In fact, it wasn't just Peter who denied him. If you'll remember, everybody left. Everybody ran screaming into the woods. Command is not necessarily new because somehow the words are new. We can find the words. What's different is that the one who conquered death and argued the point of love all the way to death and then beyond death to life, it's new because that's the guy saying, hey, yeah, love wins. And you are to love the betrayer and the denier (laughs) because I've already demonstrated for you that love is more powerful than all of the counter arguments heaped together. And by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. If you love like this, if you love the betrayer among you, if you love the denier among you, that's really hard. (laughs) Having been betrayed at least once, having been denied, I think twice, (laughs) Returning love in those moments. That's tall order. And if that's what it means to be a Christian, if that's what it means to be a disciple, then not very many of us could raise our hands and take the oath on our own strength. Watch this. Go ahead and play that for me. Last time I was in Grand Rapids, I was speaking at Calvin College, and after there was a five-hour session, a, a debate, and, at the, and near the end, somebody said to me, he said, you know, Pete, all of this theology, you know, you don't say much about this resurrection. Do you deny the resurrection? I said, deny the resurrection. Okay, this is time to fess up. Yes, I do. Of course I do. Everyone who knows me knows I deny the resurrection. I do deny the resurrection. Every time. I do not serve my neighbor. Every time I walk away from people who are poor, I deny the resurrection every time I participate in an unjust system. And I affirm, and I affirm the resurrection every now and again when I stand up for those who are on their knees. I affirm the resurrection when I cry out for those people who have had their tongues torn out, when I weep for those people who have no more tears to shed. That is what we are trying to do. Substantive change. Thank you. Uh, I love that. That's one of my favorite authors, a guy by the name of Peter Rollins, who who first hooked me in a book, How Not to Speak of God. (laughs) I, I love everything that Peter Rollins writes, but I play that for you now because I think all of us could fall into the category of people who have denied the resurrection. Every time I walk away from someone in need, every time I participate in an unjust system, every time I behave in ways that don't acknowledge and testify to the ultimate power of love, 
deny in some sense, deny the resurrection. And folks, we're all guilty. We all at some level are Judas. <laughs> we all at some level are Simon Peter. And love can still win us over as well. And here's the thing. When you finally are able to understand how it is that you have something in common with Judas, and so you perhaps fit into the category of, oh man, God help us, but betrayer. When you have some capacity to finally look in the mirror, be honest with yourself, and understand that you have something in common with Simon Peter, which makes you and places you in the category of denier. If we can finally get to that point where we can recognize our broken places and these ugly labels that we perhaps deserve, maybe that's the best time to recognize that the love of Christ overcame. We'll see it in a few chapters in the book of John. Though Simon Peter does deny him three times, Jesus goes looking for Simon Peter and reclaims him. Why? Because love is greater than the powers that were threatening Simon Peter. Simon Peter feared death, and so he sinned. Jesus crushes that cycle and can't wait to find Simon Peter, have breakfast with him, and tell the story. No, you're redeemed, you're reclaimed, you still belong to me because my love for you is stronger than, I've been saying this, Simon Peter, get it through your very thick head, apparently. My love for you is stronger than your fear of death. My love for you is stronger than your penchant to betray or deny. My love for you is stronger than all of that, and I want you back. Now watch this. Simon Peter was brought back, and in the process, something was unlocked within Simon Peter that allowed him to then love like that. If you'll remember, Simon Peter himself was crucified. Simon Peter, who perhaps up to that point of John 21, when Jesus sits him down for breakfast and a sermon, <laughs> Simon Peter up to that point perhaps was still listening to the other voices and the other claims to power. He was perhaps still frightened of death. I'm sure he was. Up until that point when Jesus finally captured him or recaptured him and unlocked his capacity to love as Christ loves. And then after that, he argued the point of love all the way to and through death. Because that's the way it works. You see, it's not enough for me to come up here and say to you, Christ loved everybody and you really ought to as well. To shame you somehow into that high level of love. That's not going to ever do it. I can't guilt you or shame you up to that high level, the high calling of love. But I can tell you, as a fellow betrayer and a denier, Christ is coming for us because Christ's love for us is greater, greater than our betrayals and our denials. And if ever I can get you to drink deeply and have that breakfast with Jesus, then I think in the same sorts of ways, you and I can be unlocked to love in the same way that Jesus did and then that Simon Peter did, captured or recaptured as we would be by the power of love. But we'll need one another 
to do it. Now I'm going back to the race, and I want to take you with me. It's an interesting thing to watch people run together and struggle together. It's a powerful thing to be somewhere near the finish line. Now, once you kind of see the finish line, everybody gets this burst of adrenaline, and people who have just sort of been slogging and limping through, man, they fly through that finish line. But if you go back about a mile, people are struggling. Have you ever seen somebody fall in a marathon? Here's the thing. If you fall in a marathon, you have to go all the way back to the beginning. No, you know that's not true. <laughs> I hope you know that's not true. <laughs> that is not true. If you fall in a marathon, at mile marker 25, people are going to surround you and pick you up and help you put one foot in front of another. They're going to see to it that you finish that race. And what I've just described for you is a church. We don't always get it right, but I know that some of you have fallen only to have other people come alongside and come around, lift you to your feet, and help move your feet one foot in front of another until we're not, these aren't races we're trying to win, we're trying to finish. This is a race. This is a race that we're trying to finish. We're trying to learn. We're trying to train. We're trying to be the people of God who insist on the same power structure, I guess, that Jesus insisted on, that Simon Peter ultimately insisted on. We're trying to be the people who see love as the most reliable way forward. And not love as the way everybody else defines it, but love in the way that Christ defines it and embodies it. But that's hard. So what you need is air in your lungs that I think you get. I think you get when finally you recognize that you've been invited to breakfast with Jesus, you the betrayer and the denier, when you've been invited to breakfast and you finally hear Jesus say, I know that you did all of those things. You were afraid of dying, but I want you anyway, and we can fix all of that given time. So you need that breakfast with Jesus, but you also need fellow runners and strugglers who, when you fall, will say, mm, either I just fell or I'm going to fall. We should help. We have several different relay teams out there. Jason Smith's relay team. Jason uh, survived the long leg. He was running the 12K part of his relay. And I just, I'm happy to report that he did survive it. So he is going to be back at our church. Amen. But they're all going to gather at that last stretch and then run across the finish line, as many teams do, arm and arm and arm, partially for the photo op. That's for sure part of it but partially to make sure they all get across the finish line. I need you to get across the finish line, and I'm your pastor. Hopefully, I can help you get across the finish line as your pastor. Hopefully, you have a group of folks. Now, it's going to take some work. Part of the work I'm talking about is showing up. 
and participating and being involved so that you can develop those kinds of connections with folks who will come rushing to your side when you fall and remind you, remind you of your chosenness, remind you that you have been claimed, remind you that there is something greater than the fear of death, and that is the love of Christ. Remind you of all those things on the days you just can't seem to remember. Lift you to your feet and hustle you across the finish line. Because that's what Christianity is and does. Here's something else that we do every week. We come to the table. (laughs) Because you got to eat right. (laughs) You've got to eat well. If you're helping us, then please come. Help us to distribute these elements. Heavenly Father, bless these elements. Bless these elements, God, and use them to strengthen us to run. Use them, Lord, to remind us that we are in this whole thing together. Use them, Lord, to remind us that you have invited us to this table in the very same way that you invited Peter to breakfast, to tell him the truth about your love, to tell tell him the truth about himself. Bless these elements, God, and do the same kinds of things for us. So in a moment, I'm gonna ask you to stand and exit your pew to the left. And then come forward. I don't think we'll have quite as many stations today. Oh, we will have just as many stations today. Come forward with your hands cupped to receive this gift that cannot be gotten any other way. You can't buy this. You can't charge it. You can't swipe it. You can only get it as it's given to you, as a free gift. When you approach the person holding the bread, that person will take a piece of bread, press it into your hands and say, this is the body of Christ broken for you. Understand yourself in that moment to be invited to breakfast with Jesus, just like Simon Peter. But don't eat the bread just yet. Take it and dip it into the cup. Someone standing right nearby will be holding a cup. When you do, that person will say, and this is the blood of Christ shed for you. You're still at breakfast with Jesus and then take and eat. And then I want to encourage you to find a place to pray. Now, you can circle all the way back around and pray right there at your pew. It's perfectly legal. If you come down to one of these side padded altars, we will assume that you're in need of a prayer for healing. And someone will meet you there. Someone who prays powerfully will meet you there and pray that prayer for healing. Physical, mental, emotional, relational, theological, all kinds of aches and pains are welcome there. And all kinds of healing are available to you there. Or you can pray at one of these kneeling benches and pray any kind of prayer. And what you'll find is someone will come and touch you on the back or the neck or the head to let you know in a tangible, physical sort of way that you are not alone. You do not run alone. I want to invite you to seriously consider praying just so that you can know that when it comes to running this Christian race, as hard as it is, and it is hard, that you do not run alone. 
It was on the night he was betrayed that our Savior took bread. He blessed it and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body broken for you every time you eat it. Remember me. Later on, later on he took the cup and he held it up before them and he said, and this is my blood, the blood of the new covenant. And every time you drink it, remember me. Who is welcome at all of these iterations of this table? All, everyone. Everyone who understands his or her need for grace, you are all welcome, no matter what it is that you drag to the table with you, you are all welcome. And one more thing before we move. Two things, if you can't come to us, Aaron and Brittany will come to you, I promise. And here's the last thing. Baptism is another thing that we do. It looks pretty individualized because we only baptize one person at a time. But every time we baptize somebody, we're bringing them into the family. And that's why we hoot and holler and clap. And if you need to remember your connectedness, not just to the God who saved you, but to the people who keep you, then come and dip your fingers into this water and know that you are amongst the baptized now and forever. One bowl, one special trip right up here. And now across the sanctuary, if you would, all who are willing, if you would stand, exit your pews to the left, come forward with your hands cupped to receive that which can't be gotten any other way. The gifts of God for the people of God.
Heavenly Father, we recognize that there are still many days when we find ourselves intimidated by death. We recognize that there are many days when the fear of death still paralyzes us and causes us to be and do and say things that we might not do otherwise if we were to be completely and deeply convinced of your victory. And so, like Peter Rollins, perhaps we are folks who at times have denied the resurrection. Perhaps there's a little bit more that we have in common with the likes of Judas and Simon Peter than we would like to admit. But God, even then and there, remind us that Jesus went looking for Simon Peter. Remind us that Jesus went out of his way to demonstrate for Simon Peter that there was something more powerful than whatever it was that caused him to deny Jesus in the first place. Remind us that being a betrayer or a denier does not end the sentence and does not end the story where relationship with you is concerned. Remind us that this is the kind of love that demonstrates its power when it goes looking for betrayers and deniers that look suspiciously like us. In other words, God, may we somehow sense and accept this invitation to eat with you, to be brought back to you, and in that moment, God, and in that meeting, may we finally see that love has, in fact, conquered everything. God, may we, like Simon Peter, be unlocked somehow, granted the capacity, now having been loved, grant us the capacity, God, to love in these same sorts of ways. To love the one who betrays, to love the one who denies to embody and explain somehow with our bodies that love is in fact more powerful than power itself. God, we pray for all of those who are sick or hurt among us today. If you know folks, certainly you do. Know someone that's in desperate need of a prayer for healing, I want to encourage you to pray that prayer right now. If you know someone who fits into the category of Judas or Simon Peter. Would you pray for him or for her right now and ask how it is that God might be able to use you to bring somebody else to that breakfast, that time with Christ.
God bless our runners today. And yes, God, we mean bless them and help to protect them from injury. But I think what I mean even more than that is, Lord, help them to see you at every turn. Give them the eyes to spot you in faces along the way. May they hear you where they didn't expect to hear you today. Bless our runners in those sorts of ways. And in fact, bless those who went to, ch- to clap and to cheer. Bless them too. May they see you and spot you in unexpected places today. God, bless our city. Bless our city through us as we slowly but surely build the capacity to be your disciples. Or in other words, people who love like you love. Yes, our friends and our families, but also our enemies and our opposites, the betrayers and the deniers among us, give us the capacity to love. In other words, Lord, help us to be the people who can embody the words of this prayer that you taught your disciples to pray. These words will be on the screen in front of you. And you'll notice that we will pray the Lord's Prayer today using debts and debtors. So pray it with me as we close today. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.